<laughs> I don't know if they can hear us right now. Normally they start the show with that noise. All right. All right. Every week. Is that what that is? <laughs> my first time. Right? Sorry, it's my first time, guys. So welcome, Anthony Smith. Welcome, Zach Strickland. I, well, I'm Anthony Smith. You're Zach Strickland. Correct. And this is Freightonomics. What do we do at Freightonomics, Anthony? Freightonomics, we bring freight and economics together. Thing about it, they, they really intersect really nicely because freight is all about supply and demand. Economics, all about supply and demand. And really, it's, it's a really powerful pairing. Economics is everything. And freight it? is everything. Everything in your world, at least. It is in my world. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's, I think of opportunity cost right. with everything I do. So we got a big show today. Exactly. Doing a 30-minute show. Yes, it's going to be a quick hit. It's going to be a we got a lot of swift cover. show, if you will. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, they had some earnings today. We'll, we'll talk about those here in a second. But we also have a few things that are coming up. Uh, you know, we've got the freight market that still continues to fall. We'll talk about the volumes, the tender rejection rates, the spot rates in general. Uh, but also we're going to talk about some container volumes and what they may or may not be signaling in the market itself. So pretty action-packed show. we got 30 minutes to cover it, now 27 minutes and 38 seconds. More like 25. Yeah, and, and you've got a few economic releases that we need to tie in as well. So let's get after it. Let's so, do it. Let's do it. Uh, Knight Swift, like I said, the largest for hire truckload carrier in the United States by revenue uh, itself, size. It is huge, massive, large amount of trucks and trailers uh, to cover all of your capacity needs in the United States. And they came out with their earnings today. So what exactly is Knight Swift's mix? We talked about J.B. Hunt last week. Uh, J.B. Hunt is not necessarily a huge truckload carrier. I think that might be a you know somewhat news to people. A large amount of their revenue comes from intermodal volumes, uh, and then again, an even larger uh, amount uh, versus truckload comes from dedicated services, which is a truckload service. But dedicated is not the same thing as your for hire trucking market. It moves outside of the spot market, et cetera. These are you know the shipper essentially pays for this freight, uh, pays for this capacity, uh, whether they use it or not. A true contracted agreement, if you will. Uh, Knight Swift, not that way at all. So they are a 1.2. Let me let me make sure my numbers are right here. I got them written numbers. down right You're here. You're a man of numbers. Yeah, yeah. I love numbers. I got it. I'm sorry. So $1.1 billion. $1.1 billion. Now, J.B. Hunt, of course, is $2.2 billion. Mm-hmm. So people might say, wait, J.B. Hunt's bigger. Well, not in the truckload sector. So right. 75% of that $1.1 billion comes from their truckload sector. Uh, so they are much, much larger. They're eight times the size of J.B. Hunt in terms of for-hire trucking. Um, they're, uh, you know, Knight Swift itself. They had a big mega merger back in 2016. Uh, and now they are, you know, pretty large representative of the overall capacity in the for-hire trucking market. So they had a little bit of a decline in revenue uh, in the first quarter, which, again, I'm not too concerned about here. What I, what I normally like to look at with these earnings, and I'm not worried about analysts and their estimated expectations, et cetera. That's for the financial sector. That's for the stock market analysts, et cetera. These guys do not understand trucking uh, operations. They don't necessarily. They put their projections out based on you know, financial figures, et cetera. Not heavily involved in the KPIs of the trucking world, the operational metrics. Uh, so for me, I'm looking at ORs. I'm looking at operation, operating ratios, uh, of course, they are too. I'm not negating that they're not looking at those, but I'm looking at these to tell how efficient was their operation this year. Give me some ad backs. Give me some, you know, 
what were the whoopsies, what were the accidental, you know, incomes, et cetera. But overall, it looks like Night Swift did pretty well. Uh, they did beat estimated, uh, you know, analyst earnings expectations uh, by a good bit on the earnings per share, which, of course, is what matters to the stockholders. Uh, but for me, as I'm looking at this company, uh, they did a pretty good job in, in the first quarter, as I would have expected. Really? Anthony. Um, which may come as a surprise because these guys, again, huge amount of capacity. Right. A lot of uh, diversified consumer base. They got a lot of consumer products, a lot of exposure to what we saw in our OTVI, uh, which was a surging amount of volume, tender rejection rates in March. So theoretically speaking, they should have had a pretty solid first quarter because they had, you know, honestly, their March could have theoretically been better than their January, February. Yeah. January, February, very slow time of year for trucking. Uh, so let's break down the numbers. So year-over-year gross change in truckload sector revenue down about 5.1% or $44 million, $44.5 million. Not that surprising. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Because contracts, if you, if you remember we talked about CAS last week, the CAS indexes for line haul rates down 6.3% year-over-year. These guys have a ton of contracted volume. That means that they are going to see a lot of their bids come in starting in January lower than they were this time last year. So all that contracted rate volume is going to have a decreasing pressure on their revenue, et cetera. It's also going to have a declining pressure on their OR if they don't do anything about their expenses. However, they appear to have done something about their expenses because their OR operating ratio improved 20 basis points on the truckload side from 86.7 to 86.5%. So their margins actually improved on the four hire carrier market. Now this could have done been some sort of factor due to the fact that we did see a lot of spot market activity in March. Yeah. They could have been out there playing the spot market. We'll talk about the brokerage segment here in a minute. They could have been diverting a lot of resources to their contracted four hire side, which is the case with a lot of these you know, asset-based brokerages. You know, you have all the major carriers out there. They have a brokerage segment. Some of them separate that more than others. Now, the Knight Swift segment does appear to operate in conjunction with their, uh, you know, their asset-based side. So it's not a pure brokerage, to say the least. So again, they could have been utilizing a lot of that spot market activity saying, hey, brokers, if you're seeing some uh, better paying freight out there with higher margins, divert that to the asset base side and we'll take advantage of that money. Makes sense, right? Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that that happened to an extent, but they definitely did reduce their capacity overall. They reduced their, uh, their fleet size uh, over the course of a year by about 400 something trucks. And that definitely has a little bit of a sustaining factor on terms of like how much, you know, how their expenses are, you know, declining in relation to the revenue. So the revenue per tractor actually went down 2.7% uh, still as they reduced all that, all that stuff. So again, they were, they were, they managed to dec decrease their operating expenses with some declining tractor accounts, uh, but also they did some other things to make sure that their expenses were down. Right. It wasn't simply just reducing their fleet size because their revenue per tractor went down as well. Average length of haul stayed relatively flat, 428 miles uh, per haul versus 429. Uh, pretty long haul uh, in terms of space there. So that's a day run. That's a pretty good average length of haul. If you ask me, that's, they're kind of a regional. They keep a lot of their fleet uh, inside of a certain range. Right. Uh, so they did a pretty good job there. 
maintaining the length of hull, as we saw on our uh, on the sonar side, we saw average length of hull decline tremendously as a lot of the freight volumes went metro. Yeah. You know, what I mean by that is that there was a lot of like Harrisburg to New York City movements, you know, Harrisburg to the megalopolis. You had Los Angeles to Los Angeles freight going haywire because you have a lot of DCs servicing all that consumption. So they did a pretty good job there. Uh, again, you can't, you can't deny these numbers. So let's move on to the logistics side. Their logistics side, however, did not fare quite as well. Their, their OR, now ORs for brokerage is a little different because they have no assets. Right. You're talking about how much can I buy a truck for? They don't manage the truck at all. Right. They just tell you where it is. Yeah. Operating ratio declined from 91.6% to 95.2%. So that just means that their margins compressed. Their average revenue per load went from 1432 to 1378. Again, seeing that downward rate pressure year over year because of contracts probably pulling a lot of that down. Uh, you know, they could have had some propping up in March due to the elevated spot market activity that could have kept those those numbers actually could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Um, so their brokerage gross margin went from 17.8% to 14.7%. Again, asset-based brokerages. I, it's kind of on par with what I would expect. A lot of that revenue probably went over to the asset side, cannibalized a lot of the brokerage side. I want to see Echo's earnings to really tell me what's going on in the brokerage segment uh, for real and tell me what's going on there. And, uh, again, and as you're go jumping through these numbers, you're, I think, making a really good point of not getting too caught up in one specific area. No. You can't get caught up in just the revenue, what's happening with the operation no. ratios, what's going on with the margins, everything. Yeah, there's, 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 there's little details in here that are buried here that are hidden. If you're not looking at them, you're not going to be able to see the full picture. Uh, you know, their, their other segment, which again, their second biggest segment, their brokerage is not a huge piece of their business in relation to the other two, but Intermodal suffered quite a bit. This might be the most concerning uh, side for me for Night Swift looking forward. Intermodal volumes are down roughly 9 to 10% year over year, and they really took a hit in April versus March. And these guys are already showing dramatic contraction uh, on their intermodal side versus this time last year. So the revenue dropped about 10.4%, or I should say 12% uh, overall, from $87 million to $76.8 million. Uh, their margins dropped to about 14.7% from 17.8%. Um, but again, you're talking about, uh, I'm sorry, I was quoting the wrong thing. 115 million on the revenue side for Night Swift Intermodal uh, versus 94.6% uh, or 94.6 million uh, this year. So the dramatic, an 18.2% contraction year over year on Intermodal volume. Over 20 intermodal. million difference. That is a dramatic fall off. Their OR went from 98 to 102.8, not Above making money. Above 100. So yeah, you're not yeah. making money at that point. Not making not sustainable. money. The intermodal, again, intermodal dropped off more dramatically in March than it did in April. So that means that, or more dramatically in April than it did in March. So that means looking forward to Q2, these guys are exposed Yeah, uh, pretty large because JB Hunt actually did better in their intermodal sector. Right. Uh, and they are a huge intermodal carrier with their contract with BNSF. So Looking forward, that that is a little bit more concerning. Their truckload side seems to be doing pretty well. Their yeah. brokerage, about yeah. on par with what I would think with the uh, asset best brokerage. So these guys are, uh, you know, overall doing okay, obviously. Right. But the, that intermodal sector may be a uh, big headwind looking forward. Yeah, I mean, 
looking at above 100% operating ratio, I mean, that is... It's always bad. Horrific. <laughs> it's um, always bad, especially on the very consistent and stable intermodal. Yeah. That means that their rates were not sufficient uh, and they're not able to keep them up. I mean, you have so much truckload capacity right now yeah. at a discount because the market is discounting itself. And if you cannot get your rates above, I mean, it's intermodal is a very incremental business. You yeah. get certain amounts. I mean, their deal uh, with a with a rail is probably a big headwind here. Right. Uh, right. It's just not as good as JB Hunt's, which and I don't think is a secret in the industry. We have another earnings report, don't we? Yeah. So Heartland. Heartland's one of my favorites. Uh, and these guys, of course, one of the smoothest operators out there. They keep their operating ratios real tight. Um, these guys tend to do really well. Uh, they're a, uh, you know, $166 million in the first quarter uh, this year. So that's compared to 139.5 million. So uh, an increase of over 25 million there. Yeah. We got a big, we got a big increase here now. Yeah. Not so fast. They bought mills. They bought mills transportation out of North Carolina last year. So a lot of that has to do with the fact they, they did have some, uh, additional assets to work with along with additional customers. Um, their OR, uh, their adjusted OR increased from 83 to 88.2. Not a great, not a great move. But again, these guys, this is what they do. They'll yeah. buy, they'll buy a piece of business. That it takes a little bit of time to get everybody in line, get them on the same page, et cetera. I'm not super concerned about Heartland moving forward. They will adjust. Uh, they had to sell off some equipment at a loss. And, and, and also, Night Swift cited this as well. The used truck market has collapsed. Uh, again, a lot of people buying trucks. Uh, last year, oversupplied the market. Not a lot of demand for those used trucks. Collapsed the rate, so they had to take some loss on a, a couple of units that they totaled. Mm-hmm. So that had, that had a pretty big impact on their bottom line in the first quarter. But again, an 88 OR, tremendous, <laughs> tremendous. Uh, I think looking forward, you're, you're talking about, you know, if they can sustain anything above, I mean, for me, if they if they can keep it below a ninety five OR in the second quarter, yeah, they're they're killing That's it. That's a win. They're killing it. Uh, again, I think the lesson to learn from both of these earnings reports is the fact that we have not fully recognized the extent of the coronavirus impact in these reports. You cannot apply these first quarter earnings to the second quarter whatsoever. We saw the most dramatic decline in volumes at the end of March, starting in April, intermodal included in that. So capacity itself, spot rates, all had a little bit of an inflationary thing. And that that might have actually overcome or buried the fact that a lot of these contracted freight rates took decreases this year. It looks yeah. to me like we saw a lot more contracted freight uh, bids being pulled back from 2018 levels uh, which is going to, of course, show up throughout the year this year because you have an annual bid cycle. Um, that's that's going to be a big problem for these guys moving forward. And now, on top of that, you've got this dramatic 15 to, to 20% drop in volumes overall in the market. Yeah. It's going to be, the second quarter earnings are going to be eventful to say. Yeah, I think it's going to be abysmal across the board, not just for the logistics or trucking industry, but we're looking at the overall economy. I mean, yeah. Just March alone, as you mentioned, late March was different from mid-March, which was different from the beginning of March. It was just a, a roller coaster of a month. And we were looking at that across the economy. That's much is the same across the economy. And some businesses are shut. Some businesses are still closed. And 
Uh, now we're kind of looking at to what's happening and how that rollout's going to happen, what businesses are going to start to come back online. And when we're looking at that, we have, as most economists have, absolutely no expectations of anything positive being shown in the second quarter uh, GDP numbers, even though we haven't even gotten first quarter GDP numbers. Right. So it's, it's <laughs> everyone's already dreading that second quarter. I think everybody's been pretty much expecting a rough uh, 2Q. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think also since we've been staying at home and doing our... You know, the COVID thing has really impacted our lives in March. We might have been applying too much of that early on in this cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so OTVI, the big debate in the freight market right now, have we bottomed out? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to ask Craig. Yeah, probably not. Uh, we're, you know, I, I would contend no. Uh, some people would say, yes, we are, we are approaching a bottom. I hope they're right. <laughs> um, it does appear that we are slowly declining our rate of decline. Yeah. <laughs> uh, OTVI, of course, hitting uh, one of the lowest points uh, and then kind of sticking there. We're seeing about a 2.2% decrease uh, week over week in volumes themselves, which is far better than that 10% week over week decrease or 15% week over week decrease that we saw in previous weeks. So we are slowing uh, the rate of fall. Tender rejection rates hitting that 3.32%, the lowest value ever. We're uh, that's not going to get better anytime soon uh, in terms of spot market activity. The spot market itself is probably going to just be a desert <laughs> yeah. uh, moving forward. If you don't have a contracted freight rate, I mean, you are just expect to have to live on scraps for a little while. Uh, the volumes are going to have to uh, increase to make any, I think Craig even mentioned that in his, in his thing, volumes have to recover before you see any kind of legitimate spot market activity increase upward pressure to rates, et cetera, which may not happen for, you know, several months. Right, right. And you spoke about volumes. Capacity is still a big thing, right? So we're looking at rejections. Those are what near record lows since we've been tracking this. So right? March 1st, 2018, we created this. And, you know, last year we hit about a 3.78% in August. Yeah. Tender rejections. So again, the story of that was oversupply. Volumes were not actually were recovering at that point right. to a decent level in terms of our historical perspective. But so many people had added equipment. But how you look at these two last two earnings reports, actually, the last three earnings reports we covered here, every single one of them stated lower tractor counts. Yeah. Uh, so everybody has pulled back on their tractor counts, at least for their four higher units. JV Hunt increased their dedicated uh, tractor count. <laughs> yeah. Which actually may make sense moving forward. Uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, if shippers have that dedicated volume, I mean, they're, they're locked into those trucks, whether they use them or not. Yeah. Um, so that may work out in the long run, but we'll see how those contracts play out because they could always go in and say like, Hey, we need to re renegotiate COVID-19 change the game. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that works out, but we do have a bit of a positive signal from what, but is it, is it a false positive? Is it? So Greg Miller yeah, brilliant. wrote an article. Brilliant man. It's great. Uh, read his stuff. Uh, American Shipper uh, on FreightWaves.com. Uh, he covers a lot of the maritime sector. Uh, they all do a fantastic job there. Decades of experience. Greg Miller wrote this interesting piece about how, you know, we're seeing freight vol or imports increase. Yeah. But according to some of the data that he found from Cargo Metrics, that may not be long-lived. So... How imports relate to trucking, et cetera. Uh, watch freight forecasting tomorrow. 
to find out a little deeper dive on this, but I'm going to touch Who on hosts it. that? Uh, Michael Vincent. Michael Vincent hosts that. Is that so right? Okay. He's he's our forward-looking guy. Okay. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna break things down. I may I may show up. I may show up. We'll see. A little teaser. Uh, but the interesting aspect of this is that we watch a lot of these customs on our on on our sonar data. These are counts of shipments coming in from China, the North American West Coast, et cetera. We're seeing rates go up as the capacity is controlled on the maritime shipper end, and so volumes. Some they, they appear to have gone up yeah. over the last several weeks. We're thinking, okay, big time. This is going to be a recovery. Yay, we're going to have volume. Well, imports don't translate immediately to freight volumes. They go into warehouses on the, on the ports, around the ports, into DCs, etc. There is some replenishment activity that derives from that. But he's saying in his article that a lot of this volume was happening before people had a chance to cancel their orders for the summer. So we are just now coming into the point where we can, we'll actually start to see a lot of these void sailings, if you will. That's basically where they cancel ships coming from all, you know, all over the world into the country. We have not recognized that yet. And here over the next month or so, we're seeing the most amount of that happen. Yeah. So we have yet to see the bottom on the imports potentially as these volumes start to actually decline. And we're seeing, we're seeing a little bit of flattening in that curve right now. I mean, when you're looking at this, I, I think one of the big news items over the last couple of weeks was talking about China and how production's coming back online and how you know COVID-19, coronavirus, has really been a shock to the supply side of everything. There's also a shock to the demand side of thing, and it doesn't really matter if you are producing and manufacturing's ramping up. If there's no demand for these goods, what does it all mean? Yeah, exactly. So we were worried about in February, oh, China, no production. We're still buying stuff. Yeah. We're going to run out of inventory. Now it's April and it's like, ah, we're starting to stop buying stuff a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the retailers specifically. I mean, we saw what a huge drop in retail sales in yeah. March already, right? Yeah. Very substantial. Yeah. And that was after, after a pretty, a suddenly weak February as well. So. It was yeah. already on a little bit shaky footing already. I mean, these are not retail heavy months either. No. We see, what are, what are our biggest retail months? Uh, definitely now. Uh, nowadays, we have Christmas in July, thanks <laughs> to Amazon. I'm not sure if that's, that hasn't eclipsed uh, their traditional December right. um, holiday months. Obviously, but. we have retail season in November, December as the holidays pick up, especially yeah. for the freight market. Uh, and in June, traditionally, that's where the freight moves mm -hmm. for all the retail uh, in summer, as people are pulling in things to get the warehouses stocked up before Amazon Prime Day, before yeah. the holiday, before the second most vacation time of year, July, uh, versus Christmas. Right. So again, we have a lot of pull forward, and these are the two peaks of the freight market traditionally. Yeah. This year, that is in question. Right, <laughs> right. I think, I think we probably saw this year's peak in March. That's insane to think. And so that the, the other thing I'm really curious about, Zach, you know, we, we've talked about how... Um, we've seen lower equipment sales, lower truck sales, all these things, and, and really everyone's kind of slowing down activity. Reasonable. Do you think that companies will be able to pivot quick enough when activity starts to pick up? Because it seems like we always see this activity that's always lagged behind what the current market status is. Like when we saw a huge ramp up in 2018-19, uh, Everyone tried to come online in 2019, but that wasn't the same environment. You're a little too late to the party. Right. Now, when we see this uh, a recovery, is it going to be enough 
proof in the pudding for people to get into the market to say, all right, I'm going to ramp up activity. I'm going to start buying again. I'm going to start getting prepared for increased volumes. Do you think people are going to be late to the party? Are really going to be skittish and hold off until they see other things happening? I, I, this is going to be a fascinating thing to watch out. So, or to watch, you know, unfold here yeah. as, as we as we move forward. There's obviously going to be a recovery. Yeah, we're we're not going to last like this. Where everybody's eventually going to go back uh, to what they were doing. To what extent they're able to do that is still in a huge question mark on uh, on the economy, as you would know. Um, I, to me, this is a difficult thing to forecast because you're looking at things that, you know, how many of these people are going to go be able to go back to work? Yeah. They're talking about 70% of restaurants going under. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge number. And, and I know that it's not directly tied to freight, but those people spend money on goods. Right. Then there's also the other contingent of people that are not going to go back to work. They're not going to spend money driving downtown to go to their offices, you know, for a while, even as governments start opening back up. It's going to slowly come back online. Yeah. These companies and, 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 and everybody's going to have this lagging impact that we're going to see for the next year. Yeah. And we're not going to see these sectors coming online real fast. They're going to come online in sections and pieces, really fragmented. And it's going to have this intermittent glitch. I, I don't think the answer to your question is no. They will yeah. not be able to react fast enough. Yeah nor will they be able to see it coming uh, with any uh, noted speed, except for the fact if they are watching, if they are watching some information that is near time. <laughs> Zach, where could we find such a thing? I mean, just saying, like, there's, there's a little bit of information that we operate on that allows yeah. us to see this stuff happening as it's unfolding, given the fact that forecasting models are inherently flawed. Right. You do have a chance to at least get early warning signs that things are starting to pick back up in certain areas, et cetera. So, uh, you know, obviously we use our sonar data uh, to track a lot of that stuff. So if you are, you know, even if you do have this information, yeah, it takes two to three weeks to get those orders over from, from China, right? all this other stuff. So there's, it's almost impossible for them to be in front of it unless they already have existing inventory, et cetera. So it is going to be difficult to see. Right. Right. I mean, go out there and pre-order your 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 Xbox 480 uh, Nintendo Switch. Correct. Uh, get you your know. Xbox. Get your Switch. You can probably skip out on the Sony. Although Sony <laughs> does, they 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 make great headphones. I found out. Sony makes good headphones. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But I think when we're looking at the recovery side of things, yeah. One of the things I'm going to be interested to watch on. I know we don't have a lot of time left, but. Typically, when we see government uh, intervention with any kind of uh, hardships within the economy, such as subsidies, it's very difficult to take those things offline. And I know the American people, we need some type of stimulus. We need that, that, that bump from the unemployment number. But I'm really interested to see how many individuals are going to be discouraged altogether and really skittish about trying to re-enter the workforce after um, we kind of get back into a full swing of things. It's like we've extended the the unemployment. Some people, some folks are probably making more now on unemployment than they were beforehand, potentially. That's crazy. And now if you can ride that wave out, it might be a little bit more advantageous for some to just like, you know what, I'd be incentivized to kind of stay home right now. There's no real need for me to go back to work. So I think that might be a... But they're still consumers if they're in that state. So if I'm, you know, if that is the case, yeah, I'm I'm all right with that from a freight market market perspective <laughs> because they're still putting their orders in on Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. I, my, only, my only concern is, uh, oh, Dooner says they're delayed, the Xbox and the PlayStation. Oh, already. Sad. I know. That's what he says. Also, I mean, I'm a Nintendo guy myself. So. I have a Switch. And we also have a more highs and hellos. I know we're ending soon, but hello to Bartek at TMC. Hello to Steve Perryman. Hello to Razan. Hello to Larry Jones. Uh, right, Larry. We have uh, Fassel. Hello. Hope mm-hmm. White. Uh, Christopher Martinez. Uh, wow. Thanks, everyone, for thanks watching. For, thanks for tuning in, guys. Yeah. Well, I think we're running up on our on the end of show, and I, I know I'm a I'm a Switch guy, and you're an Xbox guy. Yeah, but I do have a Switch. I, I've enjoyed the Switch. Um, Great. If anyone wants to wants to get served up on Super yeah. Smash Brothers or Mario Kart, I'm always here. Yeah. You know. I mean, what about PlayStation? I mean, it's pretty legitimate. I don't like the controllers. All right. I don't like the controllers. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel <laughs> natty. <laughs> and Xbox, I can see you guys on Tekken. I mean, it's a switch. You know, switch. Nintendo owns. Let's just say they they got the market. It's family friendly. Yeah, it's family friendly. The biggest audience. All right. Well, that'll do it for our week this week. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, Keep in touch. Playing us out.